Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to The Bean for Tuesday. First with yesterday's news, I am Glenn ZB. We're looking back at Monday. And, um, yeah, we've got more drownings. I mean, as the weather gets warmer and more people hit the water, this is what happens every year, unfortunately. Uh, so we're going to be asking the same old questions about this, I think. Uh, should Morgan Freeman have done that weird um, World Cup opening at Qatar? A lot of questions about Qatar, aren't there? And uh, Kay Hawksby's just sitting back and watching the Twitter show and enjoying it, I think. Uh, but before any of that, uh, looks like the Supreme Court thinks uh, 16, 17-year-olds should get to vote. So that's interesting. Congrats. Are you guys fizzing? Yeah, I mean, this is a huge step forward for the campaign. The court has just proven what we've known the whole time we've had this campaign, but it's nice to have the legal backing. It, it's not going to pass Parliament, though, is it? Well, we would like to see some legislation to lower the voting age for local elections first. That's how other countries have lowered the voting age, such as um, Austria or even Scotland, um, because that only requires a 51% of majority to pass. But obviously we're looking to lower the voting age for general elections eventually as well. Oh, I see. So you want to start with the, with the council elections and then after a little while when we realise the world is not going to end because 16 and 17-year-olds are going to are voting, then you go for the for parliament, for central body elections. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, absolutely the world won't end when we lower the voting age. Um, but, yeah, it would be nice to see Labour lower the voting age for local elections, you know, tomorrow, because they can do that immediately. And then we can work towards getting that 75% majority in Parliament to lower the voting age for general elections as well, because, right. because eventually all politicians are going to see it's the right thing to do. Give us your best argument for why 16-year-olds should be able to vote. There's so many different arguments why 16 and 17 year olds should be able to vote. I know that one that resonates with a lot of people is that 16 and 17 year olds are working part-time and full-time jobs that we're paying tax on, so that's taxation without representation. But also Parliament is making long-term, sorry, issues on, is making decisions on long-term issues that will impact 16 and 17 year olds just as much, if not more than any other age group. So we deserve to have our say. Yeah, uh, hard, hard to argue, isn't it? More people voting, not less, don't you? She sounds like she knows more about what's going on than I do. She can have my vote if she wants. I don't know what, what I'm supposed to be doing. What's everybody else think? You know, this could very well be a bit of a flow-on effect from uh, the Greta Thomburg scenario, who has been banging the drum on a soapbox for a number of years, and these kids are actually listening to her. And the world, as I say, the world has changed, and maybe it's just the fact that they want to have a, um, a say in their future, which to me is a good thing. Mm. And I'm in my 60s now. Mm. At, at, at 16, I wasn't interested, but the world was, compared to today, um, reasonably sheltered. Yes, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, the the, the internet has changed everything, and I and I remember that because my boys used to invite all their mates round to our house, and we'd all all be sitting around in a room and conversations would ebb and flow, and, and there were lots of conversations about politics, uh, not very many conversations about New Zealand politics, but they knew their American politics inside out, and I was always amazed. I mean, where did you learn all this stuff? I said, oh, it's all on the internet, and you just read it, and it's just fascinating. It's like you know, there's. It's a to and fro of ideas, and and you know, and, and they were right into it, and they they weren't silly, and that this is a different generation of kids that you cannot compare each generation of kids. They've all got different 
factors that you know then make up the the, the layers that make up the snowball that is a person. Um, I've heard of people describing today's kids as snowflakes, never as snowballs. Is it better or worse to be a snowball? Because a snowball, I guess, a snowball takes less time, no, more time to melt than a snowflake. So you're better off being a snowball than a snowflake. Um. A little bit bogged down with the snow analogies there, I think. Uh, snow's well behind us now, of course. It's swimming time, except some of us don't know how to swim. And this is an age-old problem, and it's reared its ugly head again. So, you know, I knew as soon as I heard the interview that there'd be a KFC, McDonald's, yeah. You can find the money for the smokes. The reality is vastly different, and I, I would venture to suggest that the people sending those texts do not have young children themselves. They probably grew up in a time when you were taught at school, where every school had a swimming pool, and you all prayed that you weren't the first class to dive into the icy waters at 8.30 on a Monday morning. The best ones were always just before lunchtime, the swimming lessons, when the water had warmed up a bit. You had parents that could teach you to swim. My own mum was a swimming teacher, so you know she could teach people to swim. We also had... Like the luxury of long summer holidays where dad would keep working after a certain time, but, you know, after a good break, we'd have six weeks at the beach. After six weeks at the beach, in the water every single day, your swimming skills develop. How many families have the luxury of that? So I know you need to prioritise it. I firmly believe that in an island nation we all need to know how to swim. But it just annoyed me that the texts I knew would come in after that interview did come in. I shouldn't have been annoyed. Because it's it's not just $20 for 30 minutes. It's a heck of a lot more than that. We all need to swim. I absolutely believe that. But we can't dump this one on the schools as well. But if you've got parents who are doing it tough anyway... Who is going to teach these kids how to swim and give them a gift for life? People always uh, reckon that school pools are the answer. And and if there's one thing that put me off swimming more than anything else, it was being forced into a school pool at a young age because it was just so traumatic. The whole experience, the freezing water, the disgusting changing rooms, the being made fun of by other kids because you have to get nude in front of them. The whole thing, you know, it's a process and it's a horrible one. That's something that people don't always talk about. Was that just me? Maybe it was just me. Hey, Morgan Freeman, what the hell was all that? You've got to go back and watch some of this stuff at the Qatar World Cup opening. It was weird. How much do you think that Qatar paid Morgan Freeman to lip sync that introduction at the pre- at the opening ceremony? Because... It must have been an immense amount. This is the guy who presented the pitch for the United States, who lost to Qatar. And what did Qatar do? They go and get Morgan to narrate their opening. And I, I have to say, I know that people can say, "Oh, everyone's you know selective on their morals and everything." Um, but I'm actually quite disappointed in Morgan Freeman that he took the check. Surely he didn't need the money. Having Morgan Freeman added this massive voice of legitimacy to that regime, I think, and it's homophobic, homophobic, or whatever it is, you know, 
So maybe I'm climbing on the bandwagon. You can tell me get off and get a life, but I was pretty disappointed. And I'm not sure I'm going to watch The Shawshank Redemption for the 20th time with the same degree of enthusiasm. Because I love that movie. And it is one of those movies you can watch again and again and again. But now I'm going to go, I'm going to see Morgan Freeman. And I'm going to be like, oh, did you really? They must have paid him a fortune. It must have been the tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, it's a funny one, that, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I know people who've gone and worked, you know, in the Middle East in different places for different regimes that you probably don't agree with a lot of the stuff. But, you know, do you judge them for it? Jeez, that's a tricky one. I mean, I'm, you know, you want to pay me millions of bucks to sit on the stage and talk to a Qatari influencer or pretend that you're talking to him because you've pre-recorded it certainly seemed to be the case hard to say no anyway although there was no beer in the stadium so tricky uh, we're going to finish up here uh, with uh, Kate Hawksby's take on the meltdown of Twitter or whatever's happening there I, I think she's trying to figure out what's happening there. I think everybody is, aren't they? He's popped their self-inflated balloon of believing their echo chamber was real or important, as opposed to a tribe driven by an algorithm supported by nothing more than hot air. So as well as staff either getting sacked or quitting, users are quitting too, in disgust. Uh, and Twitter wasn't that big to begin with. Time says despite having around 240 million users, Twitter is tiny in comparison to Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok and Google. But it does pub a bun- uh, punch above its weight. It derives its power and value from three communities that depend on it. Politicians, celebrities and journalists. Politicians and celebrities love that Twitter enables them to broadcast directly without gatekeepers. Journalists love that Twitter gives them an opportunity to build their personal brands while also giving consensus on which stories are newsworthy and which are not. For the rest of the users, Twitter provides the illusion of direct access to VIPs who would otherwise be beyond reach. Trolls love Twitter because its algorithms give their content disproportionate weight in the conversation. But Time says we shouldn't be surprised at how quickly and easily Twitter is falling apart and that the people who rely on Twitter the most – that's the politicians, the celebrities and the journalists, those who probably can't imagine a life without Twitter, are actually going to have to start doing just that. So, is it hashtag RIP Twitter any day now? Well, that's what 240 million users are waiting to find out. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You've got this pretend thing, this pretend world that you sort of didn't even realise you were building up around your... It's crashing down around your ears and you have to ask yourself, does it actually matter? It's not quite like being a lifetime member at one of the Ruapehu ski fields and then being told that perhaps you're not a lifetime member anymore. But it, or is it? Skiing the slopes of social media, eh? I'm Glenn ZB. Don't avoid the black runs. Definitely avoid the black runs. I, I'm Glenn ZB. Uh, that uh, has been used towards it been and we'll be back with more uh, uh, accelerating uh, downhill things <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs>